0: And just like that, we're back in another edition of the Late Kick Extra podcast. It is Tuesday morning. It's December 7th, the year of our Lord 2021. We are loaded wall-to-wall, jam-packed, and all the in-between. It is a college football mailbag. That's what we do every Tuesday. That's what we do every Thursday. You can submit your questions on Twitter, at Late Kick Josh or on Instagram, at Late Kick Josh. And I know that I've been a little dishonest, at the very least dishonest, over the last few weeks, claiming I'm going to record the night before but then waiting and sandbagging, really, to put a finer point on it and recording the day of. Well, I can assure you right now, it is Monday night. It is 7.41 p.m. in Nashville, Tennessee. So we're getting this in. You can tell with how clear the voice is. I haven't woken up the next morning. I don't sound all groggy. I don't have the old hedgehog in the throat. And I tweeted out in real time about 17 minutes ago, I'm recording the podcast in 10 minutes. Drop me some fire questions, and you guys have dropped like 100 of them already. So we have got a plenty. We've got more than enough to chew on. Also, I just got done about 20 minutes ago recording something that will come out Wednesday, not on this platform. I did the rare hour-long guest appearance on someone else's show. I'm going to let that someone choose when they want to make that announcement. Uh, maybe a quasi-rivalry, but like a, maybe a friendly layer to the rivalry that I've had with a certain someone out there. In the college football ecosystem, so look forward to that. I'll let you know. I'll give you plenty of heads up. I think you'll enjoy it. Real talk, I do think you'll enjoy it. But let's dive into our mailbag this morning. Uh, remember, at Late Kick Josh, this is how you can submit these. A lot of you guys asked about the Heisman, and I'm really hot about this. I promised myself I would never get worked up about the Heisman, but last year I got sucked in because I felt so strongly about Devontae Smith, and we started running Devontae Smith's campaign, and we were so proud. It was like Devonte Smith did 80% of the work, we did 20% of the work, and he won the Heisman, and I cared about it last year. And I normally don't care about the Heisman, not because I lack respect for the award, but because I do lack respect for a lot of people who vote on the award, not as people, but as voters. I do not respect their college football acumen. I do not think these are people who necessarily love this sport, some of them, not all, and I don't think some of these people even watch the sport all that closely. And I was reminded why I feel that way About an hour ago, again, I'm recording on Monday night. An hour ago, the Heisman finalists came out. Will Anderson of Alabama, uh, the best college football player in the country this year, in my estimation, is not on the list. And it's not one of those deals where he's a good player that projects as a high draft pick, but he doesn't have the production. Will Anderson's going to be a top five overall draft pick next year, or two years from now, I guess, when he comes out. But he's also got the stat sheet this year. To be clear, the four finalists are Michigan's Aiden Hutchinson. You've got Ohio State's C.J. Stroud. Of course, Bryce Young of Alabama is going to win it. And you got Kenny Pickett from Pitt. I've got no problem with Bryce Young, obviously. I've got no problem with Aiden Hutchinson. I think I would prefer Kenneth Walker over C.J. Stroud. I don't think Kenny Pickett should be there. Uh, but I don't have a problem with him being there Here's my problem. Will Anderson just put up a better year. He's got better numbers than Chase Young did, Aaron Donald, and Dominican Sue. You're talking about some of the greatest defenders in the modern era of college football. Will Anderson, I think, is the best overall defensive player Nick Saban's had since he's been at Alabama. I want to pause and I want to let you marinate on what I just said. Nick Saban at Alabama, best defensive player I think he's had. Listen to these numbers and what I want to do to, to give you an idea of how insane this is that Will Anderson is not going to be in New York City for the Heisman Trophy ceremony. Aiden Hutchinson, and I'm not taking anything away from him. Don't misunderstand me. Aiden Hutchinson is a finalist and deserves to be. I want you to listen to this and understand just how big a pile of flaming hot garbage it is that Will Anderson is not going to New York. Will Anderson, 91 tackles this year. Aiden Hutchinson, 58. Will Anderson, 31 and a half tackles for loss. Aiden Hutchinson, 15 and a half. Will Anderson, 15 and a half sacks. Hutchinson, 14 sacks. Better at every turn numerically. He is just a flat-out better player. He is a transcendently good defensive player. He is an outside linebacker. He is an edge rusher. I want to say for a third time, I am not telling you that to demean Aiden Hutchinson. That guy is a phenomenal player. He deserves to be there. So does Will Anderson. You've got a bunch of folks. I don't want to go too far down this rabbit hole because we've got a lot of questions to get to. This encapsulates why I want to be on the field on Saturdays. I don't sit in the press box. I want to be on the field for two reasons. Number one, Because I think the experience is much better down there. But number two, I don't wanna be around a lot of these folks. There are some folks who are awesome who cover our sport. I got friends on a lot of these major beats. I've got friends at the national level. So it's not a broad brush I'm trying to paint with, but there are some losers who cover college football. It's mainly the same crowd that tried to get the sport canceled last year. They are losers, they do not love the sport. They do not watch it. You assume everyone who has a vote on this really watches college football and loves college football. And you would be wrong in assuming that. They, Some of them couldn't talk themselves out of a wet paper bag when it comes to an actual football conversation. And number two, they couldn't even tell you a whole lot about the sport. They probably watch the team they cover or the team they cover and the team they root for, and they don't really watch the sport. They don't. You assume they do. Please don't make that mistake. They don't. A lot of you watch way more college football than some of the people who have votes on these awards. So it gets me worked up because, I mean, I love the sport. And I would love to love this award. I love the award. I do not love the process. And I want to reemphasize this for clarity. There are some incredible folks who vote on these things. There are some credible folks who are just as passionate as I am and as you are about this sport. But they, I think, are the minority in this process. The majority of these people are either lukewarm on it or they don't even really have their heart in it. They just happen to be a sports writer who really wanted to get into another line of work. They maybe wanted to be on the political beat or they wanted to be a fiction writer, but it's just sports journalism was the path they ended up going down. And it's kind of like Toby on The Office when they ask him, do you have a passion for HR? And he talks about how he ended up in HR. A lot of these people are the Tobys of our industry. You've got a lot of Tobys that are in those press boxes. They walk in with a frown, they shuffle their feet over to their seat, their main highlight of the day is what the press box meal is going to be, and then they type out a five or 600-word gamer, and then they go home. They don't really care. Their heart's not in it. And as a result, they shouldn't be involved in this process, but they are. I told you if I was college football commissioner and I had the power, you would have to pass a basic college football literacy test administered by me every single year if you're going to be able to vote on an award. So, yeah, to get all of your Heisman questions out of the way, I am disgusted by this, and it shouldn't stand, but it will stand, and I've got to deal with it. Uh, Will Anderson, best of luck to you. Hopefully you can go win a national championship since that's about the only trophy they're going to let you hold. Next up, TJ in the dark says, why do you believe August should be the early signing period specifically? Well, because of the mess we have on our hands right now. Uh, The NFL is a product that I don't prefer over college football, but I do like the way they structure their year over the way we do it in college football. Because there's one centralized body, therefore, and they all work in conjunction to make the schedule nice and neat. In college football, we got everything that gets crammed into like one three-week period. We got the early signing day coming up. uh, Therefore, we've got a lot of recruiting that's going on. We also just had conference championship games going on, and we're about to go into the playoff and bowl season. And also, we've got coaching firings and hirings going on. It's all happening at once. But most of that is predicated off of the early signing day. Think about this. The early signing day is the 15th, I think. I better find out because I have to go to Fort Lauderdale for a show. So it's it's next Wednesday, whatever the date's going to be. It's next Wednesday. And because we know we have that semi-finish line off in the distance, we have to get a new coach in here. If the early signing day didn't exist, there would be no rush to get coaches in here like there is now. You'd still want to get your coach hired. But you wouldn't have Notre Dame, before they even find out if they're going to be in the playoff or not, having Brian Kelly leave. You would not have that. You would not have players having to find out their coach is going to leave through leaked media reports because it's not handled better. You would be able to get into January in some cases. You would have coaches that are able to stay through their bowl games before they leave if they want to. Right now, it's totally impractical because you can't miss out on the early signing day. And what I'm saying is I don't even think you have to take away the early signing day. I just think you either need to scrap it or move it. If you want to keep it, move it to August. You don't lose anything. Like we are choosing to exist in this madness right now. It doesn't have to be this way. You don't have to have all this chaos all around the place. I had someone the other day come to me and say, oh, you're being dishonest because this is really good for your numbers. Dude, I can get numbers either way. Like we can find something to talk about either way. Yeah, It has been good for my numbers. It should show you how honest I'm actually being. Same way with the playoff. Expanded playoff would be great for my show, too. I'm telling you, I don't want it. Early signing day that causes all this disruption and chaos is good for the show. If you define good as just high traffic, which most people do, uh, I'm telling you I want to change it anyway. So I don't really care first and foremost about the health of the show. A lot of people watching my show does not automatically equal what's good for college football. I think we'd be just fine as a show and the sport would be a lot better off if we move the early signing date to August. A lot of kids already know where they want to go before their senior year of high school. Good, let them decide then. With obvious language that if your coach leaves You know, for whatever reason, and you're already locked into your NLI, you should be able to get out of that. Yes, goes without saying, I would agree with that. But, I mean, that's the simple reason. Peyton up next, asking a question that we're probably going to talk a lot about Tuesday night on Late Kick Live. What is recruiting in Florida about to look like moving forward? Predictions on who will thrive and who will die. So we've got Mike Norvell at Florida State. We've got Mario Cristobal now walking in the door at Miami And we got Billy Napier walking in the door at Florida. You guys who listen to the show or watch the show or do both know that for a long time, I've laughed at people who say an expanded playoff is what we need to get parity back in college football. That's not the case. It never has been the case. It never will be the case. If you've got two or three giants in the sport, they will dominate your playoff, whether it's four teams or 40 teams. They'll dominate either way. The way you get your parity is you fundamentally change the recruiting dynamic in the state of Florida. And it would also help if Southern Cal did the same thing and it would help if Texas did the same thing. But I'm specifically looking at Florida because that is specifically where Alabama and Ohio State and Clemson have gone into the state and raided talent for several years now. Bama's dominated. They are littered with Florida talent. Ditto for Ohio State. Ditto for Clemson. If you want to balance the sport out you need to get dominant recruiting in place at Miami and Florida and Florida State or at least two of the three. Because at that point, even if you just keep a bigger percentage of the prospects home, by home I just mean in the state of Florida somewhere every year, that's two or three less elite four and five-star kids that each of those major programs I mentioned, Bama, Ohio State, uh, Texas A&M, Clemson, that's two or three less prospects per cycle Each of those programs gets. If you want to know how important one player is, imagine Alabama without Bryce Young the other night. And Bryce Young's a California kid. So this also can apply to USC because we're looking at Alabama with a California kid starting at quarterback. Clemson's had a California kid starting at quarterback. They're throwing to receivers from the state of Florida. I mean, you hand off the ball to running back from the state of Florida. They're being protected by offensive linemen from the state of Florida. It would so fundamentally change the makeup of the game right now and the parody of the game right now. If you did nothing more than you balanced out recruiting in the state of Florida. And like I said, Texas needs to get on board and USC needs to get on board. But you asked about Florida. Uh, I think it will happen. It's not whether it will improve. It's to what degree will it improve. Now, Cristobal is an assassin in recruiting. I mean, that guy would do it 25 hours a day if he could. I've got questions, uh, not in a bad way. I've just literally got questions about what Napier's coaching staff is going to look like and what his recruiting staff is going to look like. I certainly think it will be an upgrade over what Dan Mullen was, but you could upgrade from what Mullen was and still not be good enough at Florida. That's how poor I think the recruiting apparatus was under Dan Mullen. I don't have many questions about Miami. They're going to be there. I think I like what I'm seeing from Florida State. I have a question about Florida, but not in a bad way. Just open-ended question. Don't lean one way or the other right now. Next up is Cole, a better job for Dave Aranda building a Big 12 dynasty at Baylor or hopping to Oregon to keep them a contender in the Pac-12. I think Dave Aranda believes that Baylor is the better job. Now, I am very gun-shy about talking about who's going where in the coaching carousel right now because I got burned big time not thinking Cristobal would move. I'll talk about that more tonight, too. It's a shame tour. Epic proportions for me this week with the Georgia prediction and the Mario Cristobal prediction. But Dave Aranda feels to me like he may be cut from a different cloth. There's scratch that. There's no, maybe he is cut from a different cloth. He may be a guy who looks around and says, I value things differently than most other coaches would. Cause I think Oregon is clearly a better job than Baylor, but you didn't ask that. You said, what's a better job for Dave Aranda and what matters for Dave Aranda. He may already have in place at Baylor. So I would be surprised if he moved on, not shocked because I promise you nothing's going to shock me anymore but I would be surprised. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna tentatively say that Baylor's the better job. Next up is a question that I gotta be careful with or it may get me hot. Now, Wes seems like a good guy and I think he has asked this in good faith. So I'm not gonna hate on Wes, but Wes is asking a question that I don't like. And so let me clearly separate the asker from the question. Wes, love you, brother. Uh, Here is Wes's question. Do you really feel like it would be a negative for fans if we had automatic qualifiers and each of the conference championship games this past weekend had some legitimate playoff implications? I agree that we would lose something in September and October, but wouldn't we gain even more in November? No, Wes, you wouldn't. That first part of what you said cannot be glossed over. You said, I agree we would lose something in September and October. You just told me that you are willing to, and you are you are acknowledging that we would shave away from the greatest regular season in all of sports. That's where I stop. That's where the period is inserted into the sentence for me, because that alone is something I'm not signing on for. I'm not signing on for eroding the integrity of the regular season. Here's the way I framed it earlier, because I was having a knife fight through Zoom back and forth with the person whose show I will be on Wednesday. And we were talking about this. He's an expansionist. I am not. And we were talking. Now, he did agree that automatic qualifiers was a bad idea. But the same principle applies here. I think college football fans love some of them. Let me, let me say some of them. The expansionist crowd. Some of you guys seem to love two concepts. And I only love one of them. I love the concept of limited edition. Think about that. Anytime you have a limited edition anything, the reason it has extra value is in the title. It's limited. There isn't a lot of that thing, and therefore it has added value because of the scarcity. Everybody loves the concept of limited edition in college football. Everyone loves how great the regular season is. The problem with the expansionist crowd is you guys also have this other idea you love, and that is the quantity that you get through mass production. So you want the limited edition, you just want to make a whole lot of the limited edition thing. Well, the thing about making a whole lot of something is it's no longer limited, therefore it loses its value. And we're talking here, to be clear, what Wes is talking about is putting an automatic qualifier label on every conference title game. Translation, Wake Forest and Pitt, the 15th and 16th ranked teams in the country, played in the ACC title game. Wes is proposing that the winner of that game get a playoff spot. Why? Why? Because it would make the game mean more. And he's not wrong. He's not wrong necessarily about the value it would add to that game. Where he is also dead on the money is how much it would erode the weeks of games leading up to that. Automatic qualifiers, period, are one of the most flawed concepts in college sports. Not pro sports, and I will not even acknowledge people who want to argue The merit of the NFL having automatic qualifiers, every division winner, you know, is in the playoff, no matter what the record is. I'm not even acknowledging that. There is such a difference in the parity that exists in pro sports versus college sports. There is so big a gap in terms of strength some years. Conference to conference, it's it's you think there's a gap in pro sports that that gap is inches compared to miles in college sports. So I don't listen to that. We are headed towards a 12 team playoff. To be clear, that's where we're headed, whether I like it or not. I get it. Uh, I, I, well, I get the premise. I don't like it, but I get it. Um, we are we are quite literally arguing here that we think teams that aren't even good enough to be ranked number 12 in the country still need a shot at a tournament to crown the best team in the country, to crown a champion, which is insane to me. That's the kind of thinking you get when you get convinced that A sport is defined by its playoff. And the only way you can define a great season is by having a big tournament at the end of the season. That is not college football. I remember Notre Dame and Florida State in week one. I remember... Uh, It Being in Waco for Baylor over Oklahoma. I remember being in the big house for Michigan over Ohio State. I remember being in Neyland when Ole Miss held off Tennessee. All of these things happened this year. They were all incredible in their own unique way. Hardly any of the teams I just listed are in the playoff. It doesn't take away from how insane the regular season was, but I also want you to remember something loud and clear. I want you to remember why that game in Waco was so big. It was because Baylor took down Oklahoma and essentially knocked them out of the playoff. That's why you had to watch. That's why you had to be tuned in to Michigan-Ohio State because the loser was going to be out of the playoff. Imagine how dumb it would be. To walk away from that incredible upset that Michigan pulls and the field is stormed and all you're saying is, boy, Ohio State lost their seeding, now they're going to have to be a lower seed in the playoff. Like, how dumb would that be? And also, and this is obviously just my opinion, how dumb is it to watch teams lose two or three games but because they're in a weak division, they end up in a conference title game, and you're sitting there thinking to yourself, after they've lost their third game and they're not even ranked in the top 20, you're still saying, well... They do still have a shot. Guess they'll just have to go win their conference title. I don't have a problem with it in basketball because basketball is a different sport than football, and you guys have already sacrificed the regular season for the sake of the NCAA tournament for the mass commercial appeal of the sport. So if you want to do it that way in basketball, be my guest. Just don't bring it over to football. The number one and number two basketball teams in the country played uh, last week. And hardly anyone even knew about it because the regular season has been deemed irrelevant because of all those great postseason parameters, as you define them, that you've put in. Believe it alone. Just don't bring it to my sport. It's fallen on deaf ears because people are probably going to bring it over here anyway. Uh, but it doesn't mean I have to like it. Let's continue to scroll here. Colby asks a question. I can already tell by looking at a few words here. This is going to be asked a lot over the next three weeks or so. Do you think Georgia goes with JT Daniels or at least tries to see if he could be a different option? Or do you think there could be something going on internally? Because when he would get put in games, it almost seemed like he didn't want to play. Colby, I'll just put it this way. I watch Georgia football over the second half of the season, and if they were going to try and find a time to put JT Daniels in games and really get him some significant reps, it would have already happened. They did not play a murderer's row to close the season. They had an FCS team. They had Georgia Tech that they ran the score up on. If they wanted to get JT Daniels a lot of work, if JT Daniels looked like he was a guy that was going to give them a better chance to win than Stetson Bennett does, they already would have started that process. They would not have waited to get to Atlanta. It was no mystery, by the way. For that coaching staff, forget about the point spread. Forget about what the public was saying. It was no mystery how well Stetson Bennett was going to perform against Alabama. If it came down to him, they've already seen that movie. They played it last year. They ended up getting the exact same final score this year as they got last year in Tuscaloosa when Bama beat them 41-24 then too. But here's the thing, and I think it's a a false assumption that a lot of people are making. A lot of people are assuming – All right, Stetson didn't get it done against Alabama. And by the way, there was way more to it than just what Stetson did or didn't do, I can promise you. But the false assumption is, all right, well, he didn't get it done. So that means the only other shot is JT Daniels. Uh, Now we got to try him. No. No, not if you look at practice and you still think Stetson Bennett gives you a better chance to win. Let me tell you what cost Georgia the other night. What cost Georgia is Alabama being totally one-dimensional coming into that game and still out-rushing Georgia. That's the hidden secret no one wants to talk about. Georgia couldn't run the ball. Stetson Bennett had to throw it nearly 50 times the other night. He had more passing attempts than Bryce Young, and Bryce Young was the guy coming in knowing, I'm going to have to single-handedly win this thing because we don't have a run game. That's the part that cost Georgia... Georgia couldn't run the ball against Alabama. I don't care if it's Stetson Bennett or JT Daniels. If you're barely cracking a 100-yard mark in those big games and you're Georgia, then you don't have much of a shot to win these big games. I've also got news for you. If Georgia doesn't run it better than that against Michigan, they won't beat Michigan. And again, I don't care who's playing quarterback. Uh, But to go back to this, Colby, yeah, I do think something is going on. That something could be health-related. It could be mental. I don't know what it is. But JT Daniels was their starter against Clemson. To be very clear so he was the guy that they tabbed going into the season as their starter and something changed when he got obviously knocked out of games for a little while something changed and he never got back to the point where they felt like he still gives them the best chance to win let's let him reassume his job so the answer to that question is not going to be all right Stetson didn't get it done now it's JT starting no the answer will be does JT give you a better chance than Stetson Bennett that's really all that matters there here's a good question it is Ballad. It's T.K. Ballad. Great name. Uh, he says this Alabama team versus 2017 Bama. Who do you take? I would take 2017 Alabama. I would take 2020 Alabama by double digits over this Alabama team. If you guys mess around, which you already did, and let Alabama into the playoff, they may very well win a title on you, and it's gonna be your fault. You guys wanted parity. You did get parity. I mean, you got a down year for Alabama. Alabama is in the playoff. They are the one seed in a down year for that program. So it's not that Alabama is this immovable, unstoppable force that's wreaking havoc on the sport. No, there were teams that had a shot and they didn't get it done. And now you messed around and let them in the playoff. Now, here's a a question I want to ask you guys, because I just got this asked to me today. If We call it a renaissance season, but Alabama ends up winning the title. Was it still a renaissance season? I argue absolutely, yes, it was a renaissance season. I'll go right back to the points I was just making. Think about all the classic moments we had this season. Before you ever knew how it was going to end, think about all those classic moments. We're not taking those moments away. You don't wipe your memory clean, but I think what you do see is you see a symptom of expansionism. Expansionistism, if you will. Uh, entering the equation here. Think about the subconscious. Think about what we're asking. If you're even arguing this with me, what you've allowed to creep into your mind is the notion that the postseason defines the entire quality of a college football season. If you don't like the way the playoff goes, it renders the quality of the entire 12-week regular season you just saw, 13 with conference title games, irrelevant, which is asinine and 10 and 11 and 12. I don't feel that way. So Alabama could win 138-3 to in the semifinal and then win 200 nothing in the title game. Yeah, it was a renaissance season because we saw crowds come back. We saw a renewed enthusiasm and passion for the sport. We saw a ton of new blood break through. When's the last time we saw a story like Mel Tucker at Michigan State? Like, are you kidding me? Look at what Lane Kiffin did at Ole Miss. Dave Aranda at Baylor. Insane turnaround for that program. I'm not taking that away. You don't wipe my memory clean of those things just because the team that happens to win a lot won at the very end. I don't care about the finish line. The race was awesome, regardless of what happens at the finish line this year. We've got a finish line on this show, and you and I both know before we get to it, we got to take a break. Be right back. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on What's in Your Podcast queue. And guess what? I really think that was a very subtle toss to break. I don't think many of you saw that coming. Uh, John Adams Upton, or Uptain, asks a great question that I am going to haphazardly answer. And I probably need to think through a little bit more. But he said, when you become college football commissioner, how will you structure the calendar? So I put a tweet out about this earlier this year. I had a a lot of really good ideas for this. And I'm going to try and remember them. So this is the first thing. I already told you I would move early signing day to August. Uh, But here's what I was thinking about. So think about the national championship game. It happens. And here's what I'm trying to do. To be clear, I'm trying to mirror what the NFL does. I'm not about copying the NFL except in this one thing, the calendar. Make it a year-long sport. Understand how to work this. So here are some changes I would make. Uh, Bear with me. First thing is you keep the national championship game where it is, blah, blah, blah. So we get through that and you are then in the race to signing day. So that takes care of January and the lead up to early February. Now here's where it gets really interesting. So then we've got a couple of months, like a month or a month and a half until spring practice. What I want to do is I would love to completely scrap the way we schedule. I don't think we need to have schedules determined five or six years in advance. I don't even think the conference schedules need to be determined that far in advance. I would scrap the scheduling model for all the conferences entirely. Since I'm the commissioner, they have to do what I say. And I would, in the days leading up to spring practice, Conference by conference, I would have specials like the NFL does for their schedule release, and I would have a special schedule release where you get told your conference schedule for that year. You don't find out until right before spring practice. Then you have spring practice, so we just took up the latter part of February and all of March and early to mid-April. When we get out of April, we are going to wrap that month up either late April or early May when everyone's wrapped up spring practice. That's when we announce the out-of-conference matchups. And the way we're going to do that is we're going to have conference partnerships. So any given year... You've got the Big 12 and the Big 10 partnering, and so you know you're going to have X number of Big 10 opponents on your schedule. You don't find out who they are, though, until spring practice is over, so you don't really know your schedule until the end of spring practice. Coaches will hate it because they say they need that many months to prepare. I'm going to tell them, tough, deal with it. We had a COVID year last year where you guys were scheduling opponents the week of, so I think it's going to be okay. Go earn your money. So that's the end of April, early May. Then keep in mind, transfer portal season is red hot through May. Then we're eventually getting to June, where you got coaches going out on the road. It's a very, very hot time for recruiting. July comes around, and that's when media days are happening. And also... That is when, latter July, early August, right probably before camp opens. So I think it's better to have it in late July. That's when I would put the early signing day. And so we begin July with Independence Day. Let's shoot off some fireworks. Then middle of July, we got media days and everyone kind of comes back to the table. Then we know right before fall camp opens, we've got early signing day. And then once we get into August, from August until January, we've got football going on. We've got practice from the first of August until the first week of game. Games, late August, early September, and it's wall to wall. I just kept you at the table the whole year. That's my college football calendar. There is not more than a few weeks of downtime, if you're a real diehard college football fan, that entire year. And I probably forgot a couple of things that I had on my radar too. So that's the way I would do the calendar. I would be very interested to get your feedback on that because I think there are some other ideas uh, that I either flat out had myself and forgot or I have never thought of. That may be a good... That may be a good post-signing day project for us. That may be a good Christmas project. Invent the perfect college football calendar. In fact, I'm throwing it out there right now. I've got to throw this over to producer Jordan, too. I appreciate you guys uh, hanging with us. We had some technical issues last week. You know, we had, I'll tell you the story right quick. So we were going to have our Thursday night late kick live from Atlanta. And we were going to have it in Mercedes-Benz Stadium, but then we got the College Football Hall of Fame just given to us. So we were going to do it from the Hall of Fame. And we had equipment shipped from Detroit because we had been in uh, Michigan earlier that week for being at Ohio State, Michigan. Half of our equipment arrived in Atlanta, half of it didn't. We did not have time to go rent equipment, so we had to cancel the show. Uh, But you guys hung with us anyway. I had hundreds of you asking, where is the show? Where is the show? That doesn't bother me. It would bother me if none of you asked. So I appreciate it. Uh, we did not have a show Thursday night. We had one Sunday night, and we are back on schedule. So we've got you know, a lot of things going on right now. I try and cover it as best I can, but I'm always listening to you guys because I really need to know what you care about the most, and that's what we're going to choose to talk about 10 times out of 10. Make sure you're following on Twitter and Instagram at LateKickJosh, five-star reviews always appreciate it. Those five-star reviews are worth their weight in gold in this here podcasting industry. Thank you so much, guys. Have a great rest of your day and God bless.